This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Toes in the Sand, How One Woman Discovered the Gift of Unwavering Faith That Changed Her Life Completely. And the author is Nina Jackson, and Nina joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Nina. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Well, this is going to be a very revealing discussion, hopefully to help people see beyond what seems to be the surface of a lot of Christian worship, and you've had personal experiences, and that's what this book is about, what you've learned through these experiences. But I want to read this that you have written. You say there is a twofold message planned for this book that relates to having unwavering faith in God. Until God revealed this message, I did not understand why my faith journey with him started with me reading the book, The Secret. Now, we're going to talk about the secret and what you learned from that. The message that God has planned for Tolls in the Sand is to reach two distinct groups of individuals. First, the book is for those people who are only following the information presented in the secret and not recognizing God's hand as creator of the universe. And the second is for Christians and non-believers that don't live daily using the amazing gift of unwavering faith. I guess they're just churchgoers only. So we'll get into these details, and you can explain these two, this twofold message. But let's start with, let's kind of go back into your life when you say you were churchgoers, but you weren't living by faith. That's exactly right. Um, we had a, a, a wonderful life um, right before the economy crisis happened. Went to church every Sunday, felt very strongly that our children be raised in church, but literally went through motions. Uh, I'm naturally a positive person, and what I've learned through this is I, I do have that natural ability, but it only takes you so far, and you're up and down like a roller coaster, which is the way um, we were. When my brother who was learning disabled, died unexpectedly. It was the first of many heartfelt personal and family events that just caused our warm and fuzzy lifestyle to spin out of control. Shortly thereafter, the economy was worsening. My husband lost his job with the economy. He had an executive-level marketing position. I was an executive in the um, technology field in the financial industry and was laying off numerous people. We could not get control of what was happening, did not fully turn to God, and things kept happening. Um, Our son was playing college baseball and had a second shoulder surgery that ended that career. I contracted a dangerous MRSA infection that almost went to my brain. And throughout all of this, I was continuing to lay people off. My husband was searching for jobs all over the country and couldn't find anything. The economy kept declining throughout all of this, and we were barely hanging on. You used the word control. I thought that was interesting. Often people think that if they do just this or that, some technique, they can control the situation and get things back into order, right? Absolutely. I used the analogy of driving a car. I would always let God maybe be a passenger in my car, 
maybe sometimes I put them in the trunk because I was really distracted or the back seat, but I had the steering wheel, and that was my mistake. When you learn, which I did, to turn that steering wheel over, which requires unwavering faith, boy, does the car go down a much better road. Now, you focus on the on the benefits of this book titled The Secret. Now, my experience with The Secret was it wasn't very spiritual or religious. It was just all about positive thinking. And you're absolutely right. When the book The Secret dropped in my lap, I was taking a leadership class that was part of a six-month program, and we were exchanging books to read that would help us in our leadership roles. And this book was mentioned. I had no idea what it was, what it was about, but it was as if that book title was screamed at me. And so I bought it, and I read it. And it is a very generic, use your positive mind and voice and actions put things in the universe, a generic universe, and you receive back what you want. When I read that book, light bulbs went off for me that this wasn't a generic universe. We do have an amazing universe. God created it. What God showed me is that it was the very definition and how-to manual of what having faith in Him meant. And prior to that, faith was a word I probably threw around but I didn't know what my responsibility and role was in having faith in God. When this journey began, and and that book literally started the change in my life, I prayed as to why God showed me the secret or got my attention. And I have a a go-to person, a favorite character in the book, a dear friend, Anitra, who we talked about this a lot. And we felt comfortable through prayer that God couldn't get my attention any other way. I was reading Bible verses in church. I was going to church. Nothing was getting my attention. And he used this method to get my attention, but had bigger plans, which is why the toes in the sand exist. And that is to share this message with people that are just taking the secret for what it, it says. And our minds are positive. God gave us amazing creations of a mind. So positive thinking is important. However, it couples with an intimate relationship with Him, and miracles come when that happens. So it's a total, as you call it, a reprogramming. That's exactly right. It changes, for me, everything I feel, think, say, and act. And our minds, if you really stop and and start this reprogramming effort, you will be amazed at, at what your mind is filled with on a daily basis. I was shocked. And it's something that you have to work on every day because we wake up in different moods or we have different events happening or we have other people in our lives that may have things going on. So this reprogramming is a continual process. And for me, I'm 46 years old. I've had a lot of programming the wrong way. So um, I know that the reprogramming to, to change what I, what I do every day is, is an ongoing process, but an amazing one to take on. So what you're saying is God reached you through a, uh, a book, a uh, philosophy that on the surface you would normally not see God in it, but for you it connected, and that's, I guess that's the, 
a miracle of it is that for every person, there's an individual, let's say, as you, uh, you use this word, encounter. Yes. And, and I think we have an amazing creative God who wants all of us to experience the blessings that he has in store for us. I'm not special in God's eyes any more so than another person. We are all God's children, and he loves us more than any parent could ever love a child. And for any parents, me being one of them, I I have more love for my children than I can even express. And God's is so much greater. So he's out there trying to constantly tap us on the shoulder, nudge us, somehow get us into relationship with him so that we can follow the path that he has planned for our life instead of the one that we may be on. So when the feelings came, the idea came to volunteer for a severance package from your company, even though your husband was unemployed, what were you thinking? I mean, people must have said, you're crazy. They absolutely said I was crazy. I had people tell me they felt very sorry for me, that I was confused, and I knew God was going to use this if I boldly stepped in faith. And what I will tell you about volunteering for that separate package is when I became in an intimate relationship with God, yes, faith is a, is a bold step to take, but God gives you amazing signs to know when to take those steps. When you get those signs, he does want you to boldly take that. And he did that. I was up all night with him the night before I took that severance package, and I prayed for very bold signs from him that morning. And I got them, and they're they're fully discussed in, um, in my book. And I fell to my knees when I got those signs from him and knew. And I stepped forward, I took it, and and he just kept blessing that faith move to show me that I was doing what he had asked me to do. Your title, Toes in the Sand, has a specific reference to something that you've, I guess, always wanted. Always. Um, I have always dreamed of living at the beach. I grew up um, in Alabama, close to the Gulf Coast. When I moved for jobs as an adult, I um, fell in love with the Carolinas and actually got married um, to my second husband in Charleston, South Carolina, when we lived in Charlotte, and absolutely fell in love with the city. It not only has gorgeous beaches, it also has a beautiful historic downtown, and there is a feeling when I'm in Charleston that I'm home. I have no family here. Everyone that I've met since I moved here are new friends, but it is a dream come true. It is absolutely gorgeous. So being able to plant your toes in the sand every day just reinforces all that you've learned along this incredible journey. That's right. I um, use an analogy in the book that toes in the sand can be, it's an unsettling feeling when you step on it because the sand's shifting and moving. And that feeling for me is the most balanced feeling I've ever felt. When the sand in your life is shifting and unbalanced, it's not a good feeling. And I find it amazing that that same shifting feeling on the beach can bring the most peace I've ever felt. 
And you wouldn't say that this is going to be a simple journey for everyone. Maybe some it will be simple, but God has a way of taking us down some harder roads because that's where we learn the most. That's exactly right. And sometimes when when you get signs from him, they may not be exactly what you would think the sign would be because his path may take you one place to get you somewhere else. And I've got a great example of that. When when I moved to Charleston and put my toes in the sand every day and wrote this book, I did not have plans to go back into the technology field. I wanted to be done and do ministry work for him. However, he dropped a technology job in my lap. I didn't search for it. I didn't contact anyone. I just got it. And I prayed for signs. Was I supposed to do this? Because it didn't fit into what I thought he was leading me to. Well, he did want me to take that job. The signs were crystal clear. But he showed me that it was only for a short period of time. And I I just recently left that job. I was there almost two years. And now I am in full-time ministry for him and promoting this book. And that's a great example because I cried in despair about having to do that because I really wanted to be done. But I knew that he had taken me that far that I needed to, to go down a path he was sending me because I couldn't see the end result, and that was okay. That's faith. So it's critical for people to follow their dreams. If they have desires and their dreams are big, they just need to do it with a whole lot more than positive thinking. That's right. And one thing I learned in being in a relationship with God, the secret, you know, presents that you can have anything that you want in life. And um, that's not always the case. I mean, God God certainly wants us to to live our lives for His purpose. Um, that doesn't mean we don't have lots of blessings planned because He wants all of us to be blessed. However, we do need to check that list. And as you get in relationship with Him, you naturally do it. But you are you are living your life the way he would want you to live it and being obedient to that, and the blessings flow. Well, we have about a minute left, Nina. Give us some closing thoughts. I live on Seabrook Island. Um, I put my toes in the sand every day. It's an absolutely gorgeous place to live, and the journey to get here was amazing. However, it didn't stop once my toes were in the sand. The blessings that I have received since arriving, which includes two mission trips to Africa in the last six months, this book getting published, which is a miracle in itself, and many, many other things. It just doesn't stop, and it's so worth living your life this way every day. I encourage everyone to find their toes in the sand dream to experience life this good. The title of the book, Toes in the Sand, How One Woman Discovered the Gift of Unwavering Faith That Changed Her Life Completely. And the author is Nina Jackson. Nina, tell us how to get your book. You can get my book at authorhouse.com by keying in Toes in the Sand. 
or Nina Jackson is the author in the bookstore section of the site. There's also a website, ninajackson.com, that has not only purchase information but other information about book launch tours. There's actually a play musical being written about Toes in the Sand that will launch in June, and you can obtain all that information Um, on that site. You can order the book in hardback, paperback, and ebook form. That's Nina Jackson, Nina spelled N-E-N-A, jackson.com. Thank you, Nina. Thanks for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you. Have a toes-in-the-sand kind of day. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions helping you identify the real problems and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Youth was sad, right? Cause he had a death kill mommy and dad, right? But that ain't the case, nope. it wasn't his fate, no. Nope. The walls never struggled to communicate. Ha. Y'all wave your hands, look who's on. It's the code of man Keith, and he's number one. It's that Keith Wine Show on Togginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine, and the show, go to his website, KeithWan.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Don't miss that Keith Wan Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, It's a New World, Retirement. And the author is Harvey Salt, and Harvey joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Harvey. Hello, Steve. I'm going to read a few things that you've written about your book. It's a new world, retirement. You say this. Retirement and aging are not laughing matters, at least that's what everyone seems to think. I have taken issue with that. Survival is learning to laugh at yourself and your predicaments. Uh, You also say, my book is a book of humor. Funny stuff is always going through my head. I decided to write some of it down, and after my investment manager told me that I was going broke, I decided to become a multi-billionaire by self-publishing. Well, that's a good goal. There, there you go. I'm, I, I agree with that totally. Well, one could be hopeful. <laughs> so you've just had uh, 
I guess just crazy thoughts come into your mind and you just decided to start writing them down. Um, yeah, well, you know, crazy thoughts always go through my mind, sometimes inappropriately, but I decided, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll write them down and uh, so for some of them were good. So, so uh, this whole retirement thing started back when? Well, I uh, I had a business and I sold it in 2004, so uh, that's about uh, six, seven years ago. And you've had a varied career, done some different things. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, way back when, I started out uh, doing uh, woodwork. I, I, I liked woodwork, so I uh, built furniture, I did cabinet work. And then I was persuaded to uh, do something a little bit better, so I went into TV and radio repair, you know, in the old days when they had tubes. And um, as a result of that, when I went into the Air Force, I scored real high on my my electronics test, so they put me through uh, electronics school. I learned computers and radar and worked in that for a while, and then they had me teach. So I taught that in the Air Force. I got out uh, of the Air Force and worked in the aerospace industry on uh, on uh, computerized uh, uh, bombing uh, computers, uh, the, uh, the submarine missiles, and stuff like that. And uh, then I went into uh, law school became a lawyer, went uh, into the DA's office in Los Angeles, worked as a deputy district attorney, went into private practice, and uh, gave up law and started a business, a credit reporting business, until I sold it. <clears throat> and then I became a bum, a retired person, and uh, just recently started writing. Well, that sounds like uh, three people, not one person. How in the world did you jam all that into... Life before retirement, and you're—I don't think you could be that old. Uh, next month, I'll be seventy-three. Seventy-three. Well, that's young today, especially if you have your health. So, it says here everybody who knows Harvey knows him to be a little raunchy. So, some of this book got some of that in it too. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Uh... I I usually put a sexual angle on almost everything, and uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it also says you're still as adorable and lovable as you've always been, so I guess you've got redeeming value. Well, yeah, I, I that's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you, let's take a little time out here, and why don't you uh, read a couple of pages of your books I, I don't know what you call them what do you call the each page has uh just a little antidote about life a joke or some humor kind of like a uh will rogers kind of uh stuff yeah well you know it just comes to me like uh, after the book was written and in print uh other stuff keeps coming to me for instance i i had some t-shirts made with the book cover on it and, um, of course, the book cover is really funny. And I went to pick them up, and I parked in front of the, the store, and the, the street is posted uh, one-hour parking only. 
And so immediately, uh, the way my mind works, I went in and I told the guy, gee, I hope I don't get into trouble. He says, why? I said, because I'm only going to be here about 10 minutes, and I parked in a one-hour one parking-only zone. <laughs> you know, you got to be there for an hour, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, it, it, it's silly stuff like that. You know, yeah. it, 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 silly stuff just keeps going into my head, and so I thought I'd write some of it down. Well, you were involved in some pretty serious uh, cr- uh, different professions. I'm sure that your humor kind of kept you going. Um. It's well-rounded, let's say that, but I, I, I don't know what to say about that. It's, uh, it's, uh, it just comes to me, and whatever was in my head just comes to me, and I don't know if it's because of my background or just because of, well, everything is because of your background, I guess. But humor is so important, isn't it? We just need to laugh more. Yes, yes. I think, uh, I think, it's, I think it's the very basis of uh, being able to stay alive. Yeah, it's great self-therapy, certainly, uh, and especially if we can look on the little little uh, crazy side of life, uh, look at it a little differently, and, uh, and I guess that's kind of uh, what you do. Yes. Well, you know, some of the things I, I have in my book are just things that occur, uh, and I just had to write it down. For instance, uh, I have a little thing here on... My trip to Jenny Craig, because I tend to be overweight, always have been, and uh, well, not always, but not when I was young, but uh, but I am overweight, and I, so I went to Jenny Craig, and I had a little episode with them, and uh, you want me to go into it a little bit here? Oh, definitely. Share it with us. Okay. Um, I'll read it from the book. So, so I went to the local Jenny Craig office. And the intake form asks questions. So it says, do you have diabetes? And I said, yes. If so, what medications do you take? And I listed about five. Do you want our special prepared meals for diabetics? And I answered yes. And then after I turned the form in, they put all that stuff into the computer. And then the counselor said, I'm sorry, but you're ineligible for the Jenny Craig program. (laughs) So I said, why am I ineligible? And she said, because you have diabetes. So, you know, that, that was the ultimate in ridiculousness, but uh, that's the way it was. And, uh, uh, but I, but I, make, I make fun here, uh, funny thoughts, but, uh, you know, I said, one of the things I said was, uh, being old, uh, illnesses have a, have a, uh, take a bigger toll on you. Uh, for instance, uh, I had the mushy tushy, uh, which is diarrhea, and and I find a simple case of mushy tushy takes a whole lot more out of you. <laughs> well, play- it certainly does. That's for yeah. sure. We've all experienced that. Yeah. But it's just a play on words. You know what sure, I mean? Sure. Sure. Well, and you have a some you have a you know a philosophy like I'm reading. You say you have to take life as it is handed to you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You, you know, a lot of people fret about uh, their predicament, and I think you just have to you just have to accept it and uh, go on and just you know if you could joke about it, it's even better. Right. You know, it may be even some sarcasm, but at least uh, uh, don't take it so seriously. 
Life is not meant to be taken seriously. That's my philosophy. So a very simple phrase here, a simple wisdom, but very profound at the same time. You say you have to enjoy your life to enjoy life. Yes. It's, uh, it, it's again, a play on words. I like to say things twice and have different meanings to it, but that's what it is. You have to enjoy it to enjoy it. Now, sometimes we can get so caught up in so many complex things that we, I guess we just get kind of bogged down, don't we? We don't look at things simply. We we make uh, just uh, too much of what really is going on. Well, sometimes you can't help it, but there's a lot of stuff going on, and sometimes it's really serious. But if you're going to survive it, you have to learn to live with it and... Just, you know, not take it so seriously. That's, that's just my philosophy. Why don't you share with us uh, uh, another uh, message, a little humorous message? Well, let's see. I think I said uh, in my retirement I find uh, that I always have a sex on my mind. And I think that's because I can't seem to have it anywhere else. <laughs> well, uh, that is, uh, we won't get in, since this is a family show, we won't get into any more than that, <laughs> if if you will. Um, let's see. Here's another, uh, you say, whatever you're experiencing as a retired person, you are not alone. Correct. You know, again, everybody has their experiences, and uh, if they're not out there with other people who are experiencing the same thing, and that tends to be true of retired people because they lose their mobility and um, they and their um, finances, and so they're pretty much isolated more. And uh, whatever they think they're going through, it's they're not alone. Everybody else is going through it. They're all experiencing the same thing. So uh, if people could only know that, it would make life a little bit easier. And you have some comments about people who retire and all they want to do is play golf. You're saying they're not retired. They're still doing the same thing. Yes. <laughs> they're afraid to... Well, I'm impressed that you uh, that you know all these things, Steve. Um Yes, that was just another funny thought, that uh, they play golf, and it's just like they uh, before they retired. That's what they did when they worked. So yes. what is retirement? What is retirement? I mean, you call it a new world. Well, it, you know, it's a new world. Well, it, I think I have one of my things here that... Um, that said that my my doctor changed my eleven o'clock appointment to eight fifteen, so I had to get up early in the morning to make it to to be able to shower, to eat, to fight traffic, to get there, and everything. And uh, and I and, and that was really something for me because I'm accustomed to sleeping late now. And. Uh, and, you know, and it made me realize I used to do this all the time. I used to fight traffic every day. I used to get up early every day. I used to go through the hassle every day. And uh, I don't do that anymore. So, yeah, it's a new world. It's, it's, life is what you want to make it uh, when you're retired. 
And I guess part of the territory of being retired, uh, for people who are a little older, you can never think of everything when you want to. <laughs> That's for sure. Never, you know, I don't care what age you are. You could always say, oh, I should have right. That's right. That's right. So what advice would you give people about approaching retirement? What, what would you say to them that would kind of give them a little out-of-the-box view of what you're experiencing? Um, it's like what the world is fighting for now, freedom. You could wake up and you could say, what do I have to do today? And then say, I don't feel like it, and you don't have to do it. Uh, there's no, there's no pressure. There's, I mean, you, you could look forward to personal freedom. That's all I could say about the retirement. You could do what you want, when you want, if you want. And uh, it's the greatest. People have, I don't think people have a good concept of what retirement is. Uh, they, it, sure, it's a change. Uh, people are afraid, well, I, I, I don't go to work anymore. I don't see the same people. And, but that's the whole idea. It's a new world. You have to learn to accept the new world and to enjoy it. And we'll conclude on this thought. There is nothing you can experience in life that you can't laugh at. I couldn't have said it better. You did say it. <laughs> you wrote it anyway. <laughs> well... Then I have to give myself more. That's right. That's right, Harvey. Well, tell us how to get your book. Tell us about your website, too. Okay, I have a website. It's um, it's extraordinary, spelled without the E. It's X-T-R-A, ordinary, publishing.com. And uh, I sell my book there. And retirement has has afforded me the... uh, the wonderful privilege of being able to write more. I'm working on uh, four more books right now. I have one ready to go to print in uh, just about two or three weeks. Fantastic. Well, congratulations, Harvey, and thanks for being on Author Talk. Well, thanks for having me, Steve. Appreciate it. That was Harvey Saltz. He's the author of his book, It's a New World, Retirement. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Prime. 
So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Madman, and the author is James Glover, and Jim joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jim. Hi, how are you? I'm going to read a few things you've written about your book titled Madman. You say this, corporate America is where the racial battle is being fought today, not only in the ad industry, but in all industries. Advertising happens to be one of the last holdouts when it comes to hiring minorities in this country. And you believe it appeals to this book will appeal to African Americans because they can identify with the emotions of the protagonist. So this ad industry you've been working at for a lot of years. Tell us about your background, Jim. Well, I've been in advertising for about 30 years. I started back in the 70s, around 1975. And I started out in New York at Young and Rubicam Advertising, which at the time was what they called the gentlemen of advertising agencies, one of the larger shops that did um, jello pudding commercials back then, Dr. Pepper, um, Eastern Airlines, uh, United Negro College Fund. And um, I was trained by some of the best in the businesses, in the business at the time <clears throat> and I but prior to that I was just a kid in the streets in the ghetto I grew up in Harlem and you know I went through most of the things that kids in Harlem go through you know there wasn't gangs and, and things at the time but you know there was the threat of drugs and you know inferior education but um, during that time there was also a lot of militancy going on with Malcolm X and, uh, you know, Martin Luther King, though he was in the South, did travel a lot to Harlem to give speeches and things. So I grew up in a diverse time, you know, when there, where there, there was this uh, militant outcry in, in the nation. So because of that, you know, the ad agency opened their doors to uh, recruiting African-Americans and other minorities, the, the term that they phrased at the time was uh, people who otherwise would not have gotten the opportunity. So um, I was one of these kids who came in through their affirmative action program. And, you know, I had no education in it. Uh, they just took me right off the street and started training me in, in the business. Afterwards, I went to visual arts and um, Pratt through some scholarships I earned through YNR. Then um, I left there and moved to Chicago and worked on the uh, McDonald's account for Needham Harper and Steers at the time. 
And I stayed there for about three and a half years, but I kind of made my bones, as they say, on the McDonald's account. I won a lot of awards, and um, that kind of gave me a, a leg up in the business and got my name kind of out there. I moved from there with the McDonald's account to Leo Burnett Advertising, and uh, also in Chicago. And I worked there for another seven years on the McDonald's account. And then I left there and started my own firm called Glover & Potter. We were the agency that got the Denny's account during the time when the, of their uh, civil rights infraction. And I guess, you know, because I had so much fast food experience, that helped me get the Denny's business. And, you know, we were one of the agencies, along with a lot of uh, public relations agencies, that helped turn that whole company around in regards to their racial practices. So have you felt that underlying all this uh, effort to open doors to minorities, to African Americans, that you still were a second-class citizen? How did you feel um, yeah, I always kind of felt that in the business, you know, even when when I was at Y&R, you know, I mean, we were one of the first blacks to even come into this company. So, you know, there was a lot of resistance against that. You know, I, I mean, remember terms like, um, you know, they can hardly talk. How can they write? <laughs> you know, um there was just a lot of resistance from the company with hiring black people. But, again, that was the 70s, and, you know, all companies were kind of just getting used to African Americans. And like I said in that quote from the book, you know, um, or I didn't say it in that particular quote, but, you know, when the marching stopped outside, that was just the beginning of the battle. You know, after... <clears throat> Martin Luther King and Malcolm X got killed and Kennedy got killed, you know, blacks were left inside these corporations having to fight the same battles over again. So, yeah, I did kind of feel like that, like a second-class citizen, like I was always fighting to try to, you know, prove that we were worthy. In a sense. And I guess that's why you included that quote from Nat King Cole that says, Madison Avenue is afraid of the dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nat King Cole naturally meant something different at the time, but it was very appropriate for the book. Um, I think what Nat meant was that, you know, back in the 50s, African American, they, you know, Madison Avenue did not advertise using black people in their advertising because they were afraid that, you know, people wouldn't like the advertise, you know, like black people in the advertising. There was a lot of discrimination going on during that time. Naturally, what I meant was that today they are still afraid of hiring black people and promoting black people and actually you know, letting black people get ahead in the advertising business. Advertising is like the last bastion, the last holdout, where everybody else has kind of, you know, moved ahead with the times. Advertising is a lot like you see 
on the Madman TV show. It hasn't changed much since then. I'm not going to say it's exactly like that. I mean, there has been some changes, naturally. But there is still a lot of battles to fight. Um, And, you know, just last year, in 2009, there's... um, a uh, project called the Madison Avenue Project that came to be because of the discrimination in the ad business. And they did this whole study about African Americans in advertising, and it's appalling. I can get into the details, but I think we'd rather move on. Right, right. Well, let's talk about Kevin Townsend. We meet Kevin right at the beginning of the book, in fact, it's uh, very tragic of what's going on and, of course, what happens to him. But uh, we kind of have a flashback, I guess. Tell us about Kevin Townsend. Well, Kevin in the book represented, uh, you know, was a, I wouldn't say an exaggeration, but he represented the worst that can actually happen because of discrimination in advertising, and he really represents a real person that actually did commit suicide because they could not get a job back into the white or general market advertising agencies. And, uh, you know, this guy, he had a master's degree. He worked in, um, in general market advertising uh, for a number of years, and then left and went to work in African-American ad agencies. And when he tried to go back, they wouldn't allow him back. So, you know, going from one black ad agency to another and not really fitting in there because he really was more educated to the general market side of advertising and wasn't that familiar with black advertising. So he never really fit in anywhere. And this guy, this actual guy, actually did commit suicide because he ended up going bankrupt and, um, you know, and uh, couldn't support his family and he just gave it up and killed himself. And here he had been very successful for quite a long time as well. Yes, he had. Yes, he had came from a rich family, and, you know, he was also ashamed to go back to his family, you know, and tell them what uh, a failure he had been after the family was so successful all these years. So that's kind of the, the starting point of the story. It gives you an example of how how bad it can get. And then we go to our, the next character, Randall Joseph, who doesn't want that to happen to him. So he decides that he's going to get back at the agencies for not promoting him, for blackballing him, and for, frankly, getting rich off of his talent. Randall Joseph represents a lot of African Americans out here in the business today that did a lot of great campaigns in the past, like A Sprinkle a Day Helps Keep Odor Away, Um, uh, A Life is a Terrible Thing to Waste, 
um, the longest-running advertising campaign in history. I'm stuck on a Band-Aid brand. I mean, these were done by African-Americans back in the 70s, and there's many more that have been created by African-Americans today. But those people that created those campaigns are not in the ad business anymore. They were either taken out because they could not, you know, they reached the glass ceiling and didn't get promoted. Uh, they got mad about it and, and decided to start their own business. Um, could not, you know, once they left one agency, couldn't go to another one, even with these credentials. But the, the, all the other people that was associated with those campaigns went on to become presidents of their agencies, um, or other agencies because of these things that they have done, um, moved up in the business substantially, uh, gotten rich. I know plenty of guys that I grew up in the business with that are all rich millionaires today, and most of the blacks during that time don't even have a job. So Randall Joseph represents those people. So he decides that he's not going to accept that, and he's going to do some pretty drastic things to make sure that that, that destiny does not find him. Well, we have about a minute and a half here. Just share with us, you know, just give us some concluding thoughts. You can pick out anything you'd like to talk about. I don't want to sound like I'm getting on a soapbox and, you know, I'm trying to change the, the advertising business uh, with this one book. The book is a thriller. You have to think of it more like A Time to Kill by John Grisham, which just had a racial theme, okay? Uh, Madman is sort of the same way. It's a thriller. It's an exciting book. It doesn't, you know, uh, load you down or wear you down with this racial attitude about everything. The guy is just, pissed off, basically. It's a revenge story. And the backdrop is racism in advertising. And the extent that he goes to feel, um, to get his recompense, basically, are, are exciting and a good read. And I think that, you know, everyone will enjoy it, not only African Americans, but everyone. You know, A Time to Kill with uh, John Grisham. Jim, tell us how to get your book. The book can be gotten in any bookseller, um, but I would suggest going through Amazon.com or JimGloverBooks.com. JimGloverBooks with an S.com? Yes, with an S. Well, thank you. Sounds like uh, then there's going to be more. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, there will be more books based on the advertising business. Again, uh, Grisham is sort of my role model here. I'm kind of taking a page from him. He writes about law. I'm writing about advertising. So every book I write will be, will have this kind of an ad theme to it, but it won't necessarily have a racial theme. The title of the book, Madman, and the author is James Glover. Jim, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you very much.